Good morning. Well, it's been a wonderful week. Many twists and turns, wonderful announcements, raising our hopes. I have been reading at length, thinking at length, meditating at length, studying at length on our passage today. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. But we're going to begin at verse 8 because we really need to pick up Paul's thought. Before I read it, though, I want you to know that when I awoke and made my way to my study on Friday morning, I was not very happy with what I had prepared. I felt discombobulated in pieces, so to speak. I've had a ton of stuff coursing through my mind from what Paul says here. But as it turned out, and I get in pretty early, it was about 6.30, 6.45, I opened my email, and there was an email from a, a dear friend in our church, and he said, I'm praying for you this morning. And it so touched me. And it drew me back to the passage, and I began to write. And I wrote, and I wrote, and the sermon was done by 8 a.m., I am going to share that with you this morning. It'll be the first time I've ever preached a sermon from a manuscript. I always work from an outline with lots of space. I hope it will seem just as sincere as I intend it and straight from the heart. But I want you to appreciate that, to my mind, it's from the heart of the Lord. So let's read the passage together, beginning at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, and we can include sisters, of course, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, anything you think otherwise, 
God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As citizens, Paul is saying, let go and let God. This is a period in our lives of mounting pressures. But God uses these times in our lives to teach us not only to, to rely on him, but wait upon him. Worry and anxiety, frustration and anger can overtake us. We can't do what we can't do. And the problem is, we don't know it. The more we try to control what we do not control, and to do what we have no power to do, the more we amplify our frustration, and it's our inability that amps our anxiety. Paul reminds us that our aim, our attitude, and the very award of our life can be off and need to be calibrated or adjusted if we are to work right, run right, act right, and feel, and believe, and do right as Christians. When our aim is wrong, naturally our attitude is off too. And when our aim and attitude are out of whack, it affects the overall award of life. It's like all of life is a penalty. Where's the joy in that? If, however, we set our aim on our dear Lord, our Lord Jesus, we succeed. Instead of mopey or uptight copies of everybody else out there, we look more like Jesus and not just another one of the herd stampeding to and fro in the middle of these difficulties. And that is doing something, something very important. Even during these difficulties, when we lack the power and control to have things our way, we can become 
and encouragement. We can even look like we are sane and in control. We can prove to be a constructive and uplifting influence, a truly Christ-like encouragement to our family, to our friends, to neighbors and strangers on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter posts, and in our Zoom meetings. When the herd is roaming, we can range with purpose and speak of green pastures because our aim is right. Our attitude is right. Our motivation and notion of an award is right. That's what Paul is talking about here in these verses we've just read. I admit, I may not be going through what you are going through. Perhaps it's easier for me than it is for you. If that's true, you might resent me. For it's, it's hard to accept instruction, to hear what I have to say if I haven't been suffering as you have. It's hardly, it hardly makes sense for me to tell you about attitude and aim and award if I haven't suffered as you have. To tell you about it as Paul does here when he talks about setting our eyes our minds and our hearts on the right things. For when we do that, then all the wrong things take a back seat to the one thing that makes anything better, and that's Jesus. I want to remind you that this is a voluntary thing that we do, you and me, when we set our eyes, our mind, and our heart on Jesus. And when we do, how it affects our attitude, our aim, and our sense of the award that we pursue in Christ. But I want to remind us that it's voluntary. It's free. And it's of free choice. Nobody Nobody can make you set your eyes, your mind, and your heart on Jesus. In fact, nobody can make you not do it either. It's totally your free choice. And if you choose Jesus, you will never be more free or enjoy more freedom or know more power to exercise and flex your independence than you will when you choose to set your eyes, your mind, your heart on Jesus. It is your decision. It is my decision to let him be the Lord of our lives. There has never been a greater constitution than that of these United States when it comes to nation building and citizenship. But you need to know that the Framing Fathers were under the influence of the true emancipator and liberator. Yet to this very day, we have no report 
nor are we ever told of Jesus writing down anything except something on the ground in a kangaroo case of adultery, one that was dragged before him. Ponder the liberation he displayed. Ponder the liberation he stood up for. Ponder the liberation he legislated, not on parchment, but in a pocket of time. Ponder the liberation of his life offered with his presence, not just to one, but to all that were present there that moment, that time, as he spoke. And yes, to that one who was brought to him bound. It's true. I don't know what you are going through, nor how very hard it is. But Jesus knows. He knows you've had enough. He knows how you have suffered against your will, against your better judgment, that you've been forced or warned, and you don't deserve it. Jesus knows. He truly knows. And not just because he is our God and our creator. Jesus knows because he himself has suffered so. We can only imagine how much Jesus suffered and just how he suffered and did so willingly and did so for us and did so for our good. Yes, Jesus knows. Paul knows too. He too willingly suffered for others. It had something to do with his attitude and how he takes aim and how he sees the award in what he does and why he suffers. It has something to do with us, the good of others. It has something to do with his focus and how he sets his eyes, his mind, his heart on Jesus. Because of Jesus, he counted it a privilege to suffer for others, knowing he suffered with the one who suffered for us. Suffered to liberate us and show us true freedom, a freedom we live as citizens of his kingdom. Citizens of heaven, not hell, not of this world, but citizens of heaven in this life, even in death, even in this country of freedom or any other country of freedom or oppression. Yes, in all. But we must exercise this citizenship. Paul knows. He knows as he wrote this letter. He knows of true freedom, even in prison for the gospel. 
Even suffering, detention, restriction, and confinement under coercion for days, for weeks, in his case, for months. In fact, some five years of what must have seemed a never-ending and frustrating bureaucracy of bondage. Yet Paul's free, free to encourage, free to write letters full of life and liberating truth. He's free to exercise his freedom by pointing others to our liberator. Paul's free, and his freedom matches the freedom of the good news that he tells others that he tells his keepers and his handlers, his detractors and his despisers. He does so even as they wield their power and their talk of power, of rule, of might and control, even as they tell him what to do and where to go and when to do it and when not. Paul is free. The amazing thing is, Paul is exercising that freedom. He does things with it, and what he does with it is for Jesus. Yes, Paul knows. All these words in this letter flow one after another on key points of his freedom and ours. Our liberty, our rights, they flow with repeated joy. His joy and words are marked by power, not slavery. These are not words of a prisoner nor a pawn. Paul is not duped or deceived. If anyone knows of the schemes and conspiracies of the devil, Paul knows. But it's not the devil who has a hold of Paul. Paul's no one's prey. Paul is right where God has him. And wherever God has him, Paul is free, and he serves God right there with everything he's got. And he does, because he's got his eyes, his mind, his heart set on Jesus, who although equal with God and free, forever free, set his rights and prerogatives aside, and in freedom, he accepted the condition of being human. He even assumed the station of a slave, even suffered the unjust arrest and verdict and penalty of a lowly criminal, and its penalty of death by crucifixion, a slave's death. This is who we freely choose 
to set our eyes, our minds, our hearts upon, and whom we freely claim as our Lord. It is he whom we await as citizens of heaven, whom we expect and whom we await to show himself glorious, coming in his true majesty, coming in his mighty power and with true freedom, victorious over tyranny, the tyranny of the devil and death. It is he who is the author of life, he who is the resurrection and the life, he who grants us his resurrection power even now, even in the midst of these circumstances, even in the midst of any circumstances, through his Holy Spirit, to live free and rise up, to stand up for the true life of freedom in our homes, our city, our county, or in life's prison when we exercise our freedom and our citizenship as citizens of heaven. Paul does, and does so in whatever his circumstances and situation. And he says, we can too. He says it right here in this passage. He says it from beginning to end in this letter. He says it when he encourages us to exercise our freedom, to adjust our attitude, to adjust our aim, to adjust our notion of an award, of the award, of any award, but certainly the ultimate award that is ours in Jesus Christ. But each and every day can be an award instead of a penalty when we walk that day, when we live that day in the power of Jesus Christ. As citizens, let go and let God. Let go of the past and its tyranny. Look with expectation, not just for a future redemption, but look at our Redeemer. Look with expectation, not just for a future liberation, but look at our liberator and by faith, live out that liberation with the freedom and power we have in Christ. As citizens, let go and let God, who makes all things new for anyone in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Behold, the new has come, has come, is here, is alive, is ours in Jesus Christ. It's all from God. who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our purpose is to be Christ-like, 
to be molded and fashioned as disciples in Jesus Christ after Christ, like Christ, with the end to be of the image of Christ, his resurrection life and existence. But our work, see, that's our purpose. But our work, Paul says it right here, it's the ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't mean we can reconcile our enemies in every case, but it does mean that should be our function and our aspiration to seek reconciliation. And then he said this in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not adding them up, not computing them, not keeping a record of them. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of that reconciliation that is our ministry as well. We can't preach about reconciliation. We can't boast in reconciliation when we are not living lives of resurrect, re reconciliation pursuit and seeking. It should characterize our church. The past, Paul says, doesn't define us, for our liberator is not bound by the past, nor bound by this world, nor bound by its politics, its economics, its science, or opinion du jour. All that belongs all that belongs to a pocket of time. Here today, gone tomorrow. But in that time, only what we do for Christ will last. Live for the eternal one, the giver of life, the forgiver of sin, the lover of enemies, the raiser of the dead. Be his citizen. Be a bringer of life, a forgiver of sin, a lover of enemies. Come to the wake, come to the council, come to any darkness, and come to all bringing the light and the life of Christ. And there, wherever it may be, pass out the food of life that this world is starving to find and eat, but cannot buy or hoard for it is the food of heaven, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, no constitution, no mandate, nor state restrictions, nor any office or officer nor any court, only a supreme power that is ours to be citizens of heaven, 
people who can see us and taste us and experience secondhand and crave when they see us exercising our freedom in Christ. Yes, Paul knows in this letter flowing so even with gentle ripples lapping at our feet, Paul says in just a few verses beyond what we read today, he says, be anxious for nothing. Dear church, our dear Grace community, you have been the focus of my life for 20 years. And I have given you my best and nothing but my best. God is my witness. You have given me and Shelley so much. We all have given. We have invested in each other. And we have given immeasurably in Jesus' name. And this includes not only we today, but many who have passed and are not here with us today. They too have invested in us as we did in them. And this includes we and they and those to come who join us and will join us in the work and the joy of serving our Lord and his church and people that we are yet to reach. It would be a great sadness and our greatest shame if we let the coronavirus divide us if we let it damage us or destroy what we have built together in the power of Jesus Christ with those now behind us, with those with us, and those yet ahead of us. I promise you, your patience with me and with all the wonderful people of Grace Community, and certainly that includes all of us that you have entrusted with the responsibility for our mutual care and our mission of inspiring Christ-likeness, reaching out to others, raising up one another, and reverencing Christ together. I promise you, as citizens of heaven, we are doing and we will do all we can to maintain and to restore our fellowship and our worship together. I've never felt more akin to the Apostle Paul as he must have felt when he wrote this letter to the Philippians than I do right now as I speak to you. I have the very same plea to you that Paul did to the Philippians. These are Paul's very words. One thing only Conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether we are together or not, I hear that you are standing firm 
in one spirit, with one mind, contending side by side, together, for the faith of the gospel. You see, we can do that, and we will. No one can stop us unless you choose otherwise. We love you. Continue to pray for us. We will work hard to open our doors as soon as possible. There is much to be done, and we need your help. What is legal is not always moral. We want what is legal. We want what is moral. We want what is godly. And we want what is mutually beneficial. That's a tall order. Pray for God's speed and pray for us as we seek to please the Lord and please you. That really is our desire. We love you. I love you. So, air hug, elbow bumps, fist bump, mwah.